Another episode of Sean and Ed's Do Baseball. I'm Sean. And I'm Ed's. We're doing baseball. That's right. We are a bi-weekly baseball history podcast where if you don't know the format already, one of us uh, tells a story to the other one without knowing what the story is going to be about. It could be an event. A person. A place. A series. Yeah. It could be anything. It could be anything. Uh, as long as it has to do with baseball. That's right. Uh, if you haven't uh, checked out our previous episodes, we had a creative one about hot dogs and a baseball movie. Yeah. Uh, you can check out our last one on Charles Finley. Yeah, that's a wild story. Uh, great stuff. Uh, it's just me and Edzie today, and I'm going to be sharing a story We're this time. We're remote today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're up in the woods. Up in the woods. There's a dog in here, too, yeah, so you might hear a dog. Keller, Ontario recording. All right. Uh, Hold on. Before we get into it, you should follow us on Twitter, at yeah. Doing Baseball, and Instagram, at Doing.Baseball. Uh, you've already found us on some kind of platform, obviously, but... Uh, give us a review. Yeah, give us a review and a rating, and uh, encourage your friends to find us on whatever platform they listen to, and of course, thank you for listening. Thank you. Carry on. You can tell your story now, I guess. All right. We're back into it. <laughs> um, so, uh, World Series, Dodgers. Yeah. yeah. Dodgers, California. Kind of expected, honestly. Honestly, you expect... I I saw Tampa... Well, not... I guess I shouldn't say expected, but not surprising is more... I'm kind of relieved. Realm, I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm you re- said. I, I you said, said, yeah. I just wanted them to win and then go away. Yeah, and fuck off. It's yeah, I don't know if they're going to be said. doing that in the next year or the year after. But but just just yeah, just you want it. You go away now. Yeah, well, as that's the way it goes most of the time. Most of the time. Yeah. Uh, we're definitely going to be talking about a little bit of that today, actually. The next two episodes, we've kind of tried to stick with the theme of the World Series because it's been so fresh in our minds. Well, we wanted, normally we we try to set this up so it's kind of with the uh, expedited format this year for the playoffs. uh, We didn't have any uh, World Series in November, um, but we kind (laughs) of, you know, we want to do a November... uh, November World Series month a lot of the time. Or, you know what, screw it though. But today... Uh, we have a very interesting story. This is the first time I've done one like this. Uh, it's going to be a little bit dry at some parts. I, I did a lot of box score writing, uh, just looking at box scores and stuff. But okay. today uh, we have a really exciting little story that's going to touch upon a lot of things and really one of the best World Series in the last 20 years. Okay. And we get, it gets forgotten because there's been a lot of good ones. But here we go. In the last 20 years, okay. During the late 90s, the Angels seemed to be a team on the rise. They had an extremely talented group of outfielders. Tim Salmon, Jim Edmonds, and Garrett Anderson were all in the prime, in the prime of their career, and had top first round or top pick prospects like Darren Erstad and Troy Gloss coming up through the ranks. The mm-hmm. team finished in second place in 1997 and 1998 and went out and signed AL MVP Mo Vaughn to a six-year, $80 million deal. That was in... 1999. 1999. They're all in for 1999. Okay. The Angels could absolutely mash. The only issue 
then was the pitching because, well, the pitching was an issue, a very, mm-hmm. very, very big issue. I no, feel like that's typically, I feel like that is something that's typical of the Angels, at least in recent memory. Oh, anyway. it's, it is, yeah. it, that's what they do. They, they yeah. have amazing lineups that just, mm-hmm. their and then, pitching And falls then just apart. not the depth. So only, the only issue was they couldn't pitch. No starter finished with an ERA under four in 1999, mm. with the team ERA ending up at 4.79. Uh, this yeah. is in the middle of the steroids. I era, was going to so say that's this not is like as an inflated, bad as we, yeah. inflated uh, ERA kind of era, but, but that's still bad. Yeah, to have no starters with an ERA under four is is not. Yeah, ideal. you'd want one. You'd think one guy would at least be performing under that. Yeah. The Angels could not pitch, and their record showed it. During the disappointing 1999 season, manager Terry Collins resigned on September 2nd, and Joe Madden finished off the season on the bench. Uh, I believe this was Joe Madden's first ever head coaching mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. managerial job. Right. Uh, four weeks later, Angels GM Bill Bavassi resigned as well. Bavassi said he went to lunch with the club president Tony Tavares, intending to resign, and then realized the two had very different philosophies on the team moving forward basically it sounded like Tavares wanted a teardown mm-hmm. after he had just gone out and signed Mo yeah. Vaughn. yeah uh Bill Stoneman was hired on November 1st uh, a former GM of the cash strapped expos so everyone's like oh no so they sucked in 1999 even though mm-hmm. everybody expected them to be good uh they were like a 2013 Blue Jays yeah they the Collins quit then the GM resigns, and then they bring in Stoneman, who was like a poor market team kind of a GM. So everybody right. was expecting bad things. Yeah, uh, Stoneman went to re- work right away. The most key was finding a new manager. And within three weeks, they hired their new manager, Mike Scotia. Mm-hmm. Scotia had been a minor league coach with the Dodgers, and many thought he was being groomed to be their next manager. But he also quit his, his job abruptly in September after he felt... Uh, his authority was undermined by the Dodgers' new front office regime. Okay. We know now the Dodgers' loss was the Angels' gain. So right, he he was there for a long time. He was twenty, he was, like twenty years. Wasn't yeah, he? and then he well, are you talking about? Well, he was Scotia. with the Dodgers for almost twenty even Scotia, so, and Scotia, then yeah. he went. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, he was actually yeah only a couple years ago he stopped being the manager of the Angels. Absolutely. So. Stoneman made uh, some moves right away that would pay off in droves down the road. Rumors swirled about gold glove power hitting center fielder Jim Edmonds being on the block all winter. Uh, Finland, Finland's Edmonds had been hurt for most of the 1999 season uh, and was set to become a free agent after the year 2000. Finally, during spring training, which is two weeks to go before the regular season, Edmonds was traded to St. Louis. It was a move that was trying to address the rotation, really. The Angels had gotten ready-to-go prospect second baseman Adam Kennedy, but also Ken Bottenfield. Bottenfield, the starting pitcher, was coming off an 18-win season. Kennedy would end up being way more important of a pickup for the Angels than they could have ever expected. Edmonds bounced back in St. Louis, and Bottenfield fell apart in Anaheim. So, mm, so the it Angels... looked really bad at right. first. Yeah, um, But they did get uh, Kennedy. And Kennedy popped in. He was like a rookie second baseman for them in, in the year 2000. He had a decent year. But this Bottenfield guy just, just sucked. And yeah, they were like, yeah. oh, look, now Edmonds is good again. And we got yeah, this shitty yeah, pitcher. Edmonds like, had a, res- a huge resurgence. He was, he, was, uh, 
he was the cover guy on MLB Slugfest 2004 or five. Exactly. So you know. Well, he had a, he research. He had a huge resurgence. He wasn't even bad. They just he was one of the guys that was hurt in '99, and then they were just like, well, our pitching sucks, so we'll yeah, get this 18 yeah. game winner. And then he comes in. I don't know what his red numbers were, but they were bad. Right, right. I think they even traded him by the time the year was over. Probably. Definitely by the time his contract Probably was. overvaluing the 18 wins. Oh, definitely. Surely. Uh, so in the year 2000, the Angels destroyed baseballs on an absolutely epic level. The team hit 236 homers and scored 837 runs. In fact, Damn. they set team records that still stand to this day in home runs, runs batted in, Extra base hits, slugging percentage, and total bases. Mm-hmm. So even without Edmonds, they are still cranking yeah, still it. raking. Uh, they had five players hit 25 or more home runs, with Troy Gloss leading the way with 47. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you name the others? Uh, I'm trying to think of who would have been on I get Mo Vaughn wasn't still on the team. Mo Vaughn was, was still on the team. Was yes, he one this, of them? Yes. Okay. Mo Vaughn and... I don't know. I'm just going to throw one out there. Anderson? Yep. Okay. So we you said got, three, right? No, there's five. Oh, fuck. I don't know. I'm stopping now. Uh, so what do we have? Salmon? Oh, I didn't say salmon. So oh, okay. Salmon, yep. obviously. Salmon. And salmon, Gloss, Anderson. And finally, Mavon. the one barely squeaking in, er, Darren Erstad. Darren Erstad. So Gloss, Erstad, Anderson, Vaughn, and Salmon. Mm-hmm. All hit 25 or more home runs. Uh, okay, uh, back into this. Uh, but they couldn't pitch to save their life. <laughs> right. As is the eight way of the Angels. All starters other than Jared Washburn finished with an ERA over five. So even oh, worse. Fuck. Uh, and another disappointing finish. Uh, oh, yeah. So the team ERA came in at exactly five. Okay. So Jared Washburn appears as this decent pitcher. Ortiz came out. He like threw like 200 innings, but he was, you know, like high fours. Mm-hmm. Uh, team sucked. They couldn't even pitch even worse. They finished with a record of 82 and 80, mainly carried by their bats. Yeah. Uh, but it was another disappointing finish. Uh, but little did fans know something big did happen that year. On August 16th, 2000, the Angels selected... David Eckstein off waivers. Big deal. Big deal. Big Do you deal. know who David Eckstein was gotten from off waivers? Um, the Blue Jays? No. No. Boston he, Red, he was Boston with Red Sox. Sox. Okay, yeah. that's what yeah. I was going to say, but the way you the way you phrased that uh, made me think that the Red Sox was the obvious choice, but not correct. Anyway. Well, either yeah. way, Eckstein he made... He did end up with the Blue Jays for a bit, though, didn't yes, he? Yes, he did. Yeah, 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 right. yeah, yeah. I think later on in his career. Right, yeah, the so, end. X9 made the team immediate made a big impact on the team immediately finishing fourth in rookie of the year voting in 2001. Mm-hmm. Movon got hurt though. In fact, it was discovered that he'd been playing with a ruptured tendon in his left arm. The ensuing surgery kept him out for the entire 2001 season. Still the Anaheim Angels were 69 and 62 on August 26, 2001. Even with that record Times were different, and the Angels were still on the outside looking in at the wild card spot. Remember, there's just one wild card right, spot. Right. Uh, they were six games back of division rival Oakland, and the Mariners had already won 90 games at this point in 2001. Because so the Mariners were ridiculous yeah, yeah, that year. Yeah, uh, that was like the 116 win season, I think. Wasn't yeah, it? 
It seemed a bit unfair at the time for Angels fans. The team was playing decent baseball and looked to be building on their 82-80 and 80 season in the year 2000. Then, they just started to suck. They limped through the beginning of September and were off, uh, and then were off for a week because of the attacks of September 11th. After baseball returned, the Angels were even worse. They went two and sixteen to finish the year, six and twenty-five total down the stretch, and finished with a seventy-five and eighty-seven record. Mm, that's uh, disappointing. That is very disappointing. Especially, I mean, they weren't. They didn't look like they would make the playoffs, but it looked like they were building. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you say, even if you're not going to make the playoffs, when it looks like you're building off the momentum that you had from the season before, you know, yeah. you're you're above 500, and then you're hoping to get a few more steps above 500, and then yeah. you go six and twenty something, whatever 25. you said, six and twenty five. Oh my god. Yeah. It was really bad, and it was just kind of tough luck. They played against the Mariners that year and Oakland that year, so you're in a division with four teams. Remember, the AOS was four teams, right? and they get just demolished in their Mm -hmm. own division. Like, any other division, they're probably a playoff team. Right. I mean, without the collapse at the end, at least. Yeah. They'd at least be sitting in a playoff spot. Uh, So... Well, they probably wouldn't get hammered as much in another division, Exactly. So a team that seemed to be making some noise a few months ago was now an afterthought, especially in a division with Billy Beans, A's, and the 116 and 46 Seattle Mariners. The the Angels seemed to be an afterthought at this time in history. The ball club was founded back in 1961 and never had a great stretch of success. The team had only made the playoffs three times in their 40-year history. Candace is upset about that. He's an yeah. Angels fan. <laughs> the most. All right. I'm just going to say it. The team had only made the playoffs three times in their 40 year history. The most recent being 15 years prior in 1986, where they blew a 3 1 series lead to the Boston Red Sox. They had never been to a World Series, and they didn't seem likely to be going to one anytime soon. No. I didn't realize that. Uh... I mean, I guess I, like at that time when I was that age, I wasn't paying as much attention to the Anaheim Angels history. But yeah, I didn't realize that they were they, that they had been out of the playoffs for for that long. When, well, when that kind of, I guess I saw Angels in the outfield and just like assumed that they were <laughs> they a competitive were team. <laughs> no, the whole point of Angels in the outfield is they suck. Yeah, maybe I know. when the Angels win the pennant, I'll be your dad. I know. <laughs> Jeez, what an asshole. It's <laughs> a terrible movie. <laughs> it's a great movie on a terrible premise. <laughs> terrible premise. <laughs> Carrying on. <laughs> Why is that manager hanging out with those young children? <laughs> he adopts them. Okay. Um, <laughs> so they were, everyone expected them to be bad. On December 27th, 2001, the Angels traded their big free agent splash from three long off seasons ago. Mo Vaughn was traded to the Mets in exchange for Kevin Apier. Apier was a veteran pitcher coming off a 200-plus inning season with an ERA of 3.57 for the Mets. Uh, Apier would add some stability to what many saw as a thin starting rotation. Other than Jared Washburn, the pitching seemed thin. Ramon Ortiz had taken a step forward in 2001, but was no guarantee his success and 
and process would continue <laughs> into the 2002 season. Mm-hmm. Uh, progress, maybe. Progress. That's probably what I stupid yeah. autocorrect. Um, as the calendar flipped from 2001 into 2002, many people had the Angels battling with the Rangers in the basement of the AL West. 12 of 18 ESPN writers polled picked the Angels to finish last, with only one, Jason Stark, picking them to finish higher than third place in the division. Mm-hmm. Not a single one predicted the Angels would make the playoffs. So, Famous last words, yeah. as, as they say. Before spring training was to start, the team did some major rebranding. And getting rid of their short-lived, awful, late 90s winged angel lettering across the blue plate logo back oh, with were, like the two bats great. crossing. You like those? No. No, they were bad. It's a hundred, those were the Disney ones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Disney era. Yeah. So then they went back to the more traditional haloed uppercase A. And the new uniforms were a hit or at least something to get fans going about. Very-esque 2013 Jays once right, again. Right, right. Um, Spring training came and it was it it was regular boring spring training, but then on March 9th, the Angels and Padres would play a spring training game that would feature two bench clearing brawls in the first inning. In the first inning. In the first two of them. Inning. Yes. Spring training. It all started with Aaron Seeley, newly acquired pitcher, hitting Ryan Klesko in the back with two outs in the first. Klesko had homered off Seeley the previous year and took exception and charged the mound. A brawl ensued uh, as players piled on. San Diego's Ron Gant pulled Anaheim's Sean Wooten out of the pile and pulled his jersey over his head. He got jersey. He jerseyed him. He jerseyed him. Uh, In the bottom of the inning, Padres pitcher Bobby Jones threw one up and in on Troy Gloss, and the teams went at it again. Oh, sons of bitches. After order was restored, Angels first baseman Scott Spezio punched th- Padres third base coach Tim Flannery in the face. <laughs> third base coach? I don't know why. <laughs> I don't okay. understand some baseball fights when, like, two people just not involved completely just come together and fight each other. Like, I get it if, like, a batter goes at the pitcher and yeah, they fight. Yeah, it, it never seems to be the two people involved in the in the original kerfuffle that end up fighting each other. Yeah, but the third base coach. Anyway, so Spezio uh, was in the end suspended for five games, and Gloss was given two-game suspension. I think Spezio originally got six, but he protested, yada, yada, yada. Seeley was fine, but never suspended. Um, that was the highlight of spring training. Anaheim went... 17 and 15, pretty regular. Mm-hmm. And the Angels started the season shorthanded without Spezio or Gloss because of the fight. Yeah. Um, and they left off, or <laughs> they started the season, and 2002 begun the way they left off in 2001. They were Shady. really bad. Yeah. yeah. Okay. After starting three and two, they lost six in a row, then lost seven of 10. On April twenty third, they lost one nothing to the Mariners and were sitting at six and fourteen, the worst start in franchise history. Uh-huh. Then, just as quickly as it had left the year before, it was back. The Angels began to win. In fact, they would win for the rest of the year. Probably had something to do with some kid asking <laughs> if the Angels could win the pennant so his dad could come back. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, 
They won eight in a row uh, to get back to 500. A month after the poor start ended, they were sitting at 27 and 18 on May 20, uh, on May 24th. Uh, and only three games back from the division-leading Mariners. Wow, they turned it around really fast. They did. A month later, on June 24th, 2002, they were just two and a half games back of first, but the Oakland A's had been on fire and sat in between them, mm-hmm. uh, in between the Mariners and the Angels. Was that was that the 20-win season? Oh, buddy, we're getting there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so Anaheim's in third place, even though they're playing amazing. So right. once again, it's the same bullshit. Yeah. Um, the four-team uh, Western Division was a powerhouse, and if the Angels were to compete, they'd need even more. Luckily that day, a young man by the name of John Lackey made his Major League debut. John Lackey. John Lackey. The Angels lost the game 3-2, to two, but the 23-year-old rookie pitched seven innings, giving up three runs. Lackey would sol- solidify the back end of the rotation for the Angels, and the Angels would go 12-6 and six when Lackey made a start, including winning nine of his last 12 starts. Pretty good. On August 12th, the Oakland A's lost to the Toronto Blue Jays and sat two and a half games back of the Angels and four and a half games back of the division-leading Mariners. The Angels, So the Angels had jumped back in front at this right, point. Right. The Angels were in the middle of a six-game winning streak, uh, but that would pale into the com- in comparison to what was about to happen. The Oakland A's would not lose another game for a long time. Their famous 20-game winning streak was about to begin. The Angels held their own, but the A's were relentless. By the end of the winning streak, the A's were three and a half games up on the Angels. The Angels were no slouch, though. From August 29th to September 15th, they went 16-1. and Damn. And retook first place. The Mariners were playing okay, Yeah. but holy shit. They're down in third all of a sudden. Yeah. What a division that I, was that year. It eh? was wild. Uh, so the Mariners, like everyone expected the Mariners to win a thousand and two games that season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of a sudden they're in third place by a couple games with like two weeks left. Right. It was a seesaw battle back and forth between the A's and Angels now for first place. On the morning of September 16th, the Angels were in the lead by one game, but that night, a four-game series between them and the A's was going to start Oakland in Oakland with the winner of the series most likely going to be the winner of the division with only like a week's worth of games left afterwards. Mm-hmm. Troy Gloss started the series off with a three-run homer in the top of the first, but the Angels failed to score for the rest of the game. Al Levine gave up back-to-back-to-back singles in the ninth, and the A's took game one, A's took game one and tied the Angels for first place. The next day, the Angels struck back with their own late-inning heroics. Tim Salmon hit his 20th home run of the year off A's closer Billy Koch in the 10th inning, and the Angels won a one nothing victory. The A's bounced back and retied the Angels for first place the next day with a 7-4 win, but more important than that, the Angels had another MLB debut. A young 20-year-old pitcher by the name of Francisco Rodriguez made his MLB debut. K-Rod, as he would later be known, mopped up the eighth and struck out two of the four batters that he faced. The A's won the final game 5-3. to And they would take the lead in the division and not give it up. Right. Still, Anaheim was seven games up on the wild card and were destined for playoff baseball for the first time in nearly two decades. A week later, mm-hmm. on September 26th, the Angels beat the Rangers 10-5 to clinch a playoff spot. John Lackey was the winning pitcher. 
the Angels finished the season with a record of 99 and 63, the winningest season in Angels history. And At, to that point. Yeah, <laughs> and I was going to say just unreal that 99 wins only got you the wild card spot. Second like, place. That's insane. Well, and do you know there were multiple teams that won over 100 games that year? It's Oakland. Right. And who would be the other one? It's 2002. 2002. Well, I guess I guess the Yankees would have won yep. the division that year. They did. And who are the Angels going to face in the first round of the playoffs? Who did they face? Was it, the Yan- it wasn't the Yankees, was it? It was the Yankees. Oh, okay. Uh, so what was the other 100-win team? The A's. Oh, the the, yeah, A's, the the A's and the Yankees. I thought you said there was three. No, there were two. Oh, Angels, two. Angels were ninety nine. Oh, okay. all right, all right. Anyway, we're off track now. Yeah. Uh, so Angels made it. Uh, the Angels led the AL, only giving up six hundred and forty four runs, uh, a more than two hundred run difference from the year before. So in two years, their pitching staff gave up two hundred less runs. That's an improvement. Washburn, Apier, and Ortiz all made 32 starts and all had an ERA under four. So they were healthy, okay, yeah, and their so top three were just yeah. horses for them. Right. Uh, the pitching wasn't the only reason the team was getting to where they were. As we discussed, this team could hit. Even without Mo Vaughn and Jim Edmonds, Garrett Anderson finished the year with 195 hits, 88 of which being for extra bases, which is just wild. Mm-hmm. But the Angels' most effective offensive tool was not actually in the lineup. No. When the Angels needed runs, they turned not to a power hitter like Troy Gloss or a contact guy like Eckstein. No. They turned to a monkey. Um, excuse me? <laughs> they turned to a monkey. Monkey. Uh, the rally monkey? The rally monkey. On June 6, 2000, during a home game against the Giants... Dun, dun, remember that. Oh, the okay. Angels video board operators, Dean Fraulino and Jason Humes, decided to throw up a clip from Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. A few <laughs> seconds of Ace's monkey jumping up and down while screeching. Uh, the crowd reacted, and the team began to chip away at the Giants' lead. How, like, the crowd reacted how? They like liked they, the monkey. Did they imitate the monkey? They cheered with the monkey, because the monkey was going nuts, okay. so the people oh, okay. saw the monkey, and okay. they decided... Monkey see? Monkey see, monkey do. <laughs> 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 the, cr- uh, the crowd reacted, so the crowd gets loud, and they begin to chip away. Later in the game, the Angels still trailed the Giants in the bottom of the ninth, 5-4. to four. The video operators once again played the clip of the monkey, but this time with the words, Rally Monkey, written across it. Nice. Then Adam Kennedy singled, Scott Spezia walked, and Darren Erstad singled home Kennedy. After Kevin Stalker, uh, Stalker's fielder's choice, Mo Vaughn walked off the game with a two-out single, and the rally monkey tradition was born. So that was back in 2000. Right, right. Uh, The video became so popular that the Angels sought out their own monkey to film for the video board. They hired (laughs) Katie, a a white-haired capuchin monkey who previously appeared as Marcel in the television sitcom series Friends. Okay. So the Friends monkey, Is Katie, also the, the Angels Rally monkey. Yes. Huh. Katie would Fun jump fact. around to the classic House of Pain hit song of the same name. Jump around. Uh, and sometimes hold up a sign proclaiming it to be rally time. 
The monkey became an unofficial mascot, and the team, of course, used it to sell merchandise. Well, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Plush monkey stuffed animals and shirts could be seen throughout Angel's home games. The video uh, team would edit clips from famous movies and music videos, replacing characters with the rally monkey. (laughs) (laughs) Fans loved it and would always make noise for the tiny primate. Uh, it amazing. was just amazing. And in 2002, 2002, not 2012, uh, the tradition took off in full force. The angels would come back and win a ridiculous 18 comeback wins, which they, in which they trailed in the seventh inning or later and would, and it would go from a local fan favorite to a national story. Once the playoffs began, mm-hmm. angels had made the playoffs for the first time in 16 years, but their first opponent was probably their worst-case scenario. The Angels were to face the four-time defending AL champion Yankees, a team that had won three out of four last or three out of the last four World Series and 103 games in 2002. Mm-hmm. The Yankees had home field advantage, and many fans and and analysts had them as an easy favorite. Of course, in Game One, a young Jared Washburn went head-to-head against the already legendary Roger Clemens. Though it was not much of a pitcher's duel, both pitchers left the game surrounding four runs, and Troy Gloss took Clemens deep to lead off the sixth and tie the game at four. And then, in Gloss's next at-bat, he did it again. Gloss goes deep twice, mm-hmm. putting Angels up by one in the top of the eighth. But in the bottom half, a couple of walks and a single by Jason Giambi and a Bernie Williams home run put the game out of reach, and the Yankees took game one. So it looked... Uh, so it's, yeah, it's looking as expected, pretty yeah, much. It was a tough loss, and many saw the game as proof that the Yankees were just too much for the Angels to handle. The Angels came out swinging in game two and beat down Andy Pettit early. The Yankees pushed back, though, and took the lead 5-4 to four in the sixth off of Francisco Rodriguez when he made his playoff debut. So K-Rod's playoff debut, not good. It was not good. Uh, But this time, the Angels would come back and hold on to the lead for good. Garrett Anderson and Troy Gloss went back-to-back in the eighth, and the Angels held on to tie the series at one. So Gloss already has three home runs in, like, Uh two games. Uh He's just a beast. Uh, And this is the DS, so it's three out of five, right? Yep. In game three, the series returned to California, and it was rally monkey time. It was rally monkey time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the Angels went up 3 nothing in the first and were up 6-3 after three innings. Ramon Ortiz got shellacked, but John Lackey came in to steady the ship. He pitched three shutout innings out of the bullpen, followed by K-Rod redeeming himself with two innings and four Ks of shutout effort. The Angels hitters chipped away. Adam Kennedy contributed a solo home run and a sack fly to make it a run- one-run game. The Yankees were up 6-5 to five going into the bottom of the seventh. Then the Angels... Two monsters at the dish, Anderson and Gloss, did their thing. Getting on base and setting the table. With the monkey jumping, Spezio singled to tie the game, and the Angels weren't done there. Kennedy and Erstad both doubled in the eighth uh, to take the lead, and Tim Salmon sealed the deal with a home run off Steve Carsey. The Angels took the game 9-6, and... The group that everyone had lost faith in in the year prior were on the brink of defeating a team that had dominated baseball for the past half decade. Game four was Jared Washburn making his second start of the series against another legend, David Boomer Wells. Boomer. Boomer. The game started off 
rather quietly, with both teams exchanging a run up until the middle innings. Then the floodgates broke open. Troy Gloss's throwing error in the fifth allowed the Yankees to manufacture a run with Derek Jeter with a Derek Jeter sack fly to put the Yankees up two to one. Then Sean Wooten led off the bottom of the inning for the Angels and blasted a home run into the rocks in left center field to tie the game. Benji Molina flew out, and then the Angels sent eleven men to the plate that inning. Ooh. It went single, 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 fly out, single, single. Double, single, fly out. Wow. So. <laughs> just moving them along. Just eh? moving them along. The, the Yankees could do nothing more than chip away uh, in the last innings, but it wasn't enough. The Angels won the game 9-5, to five, and the back-and-forth offensively wild city series uh, <laughs> was over, and the Angels had won 3-1. to one. They slayed baseball's biggest dragon and won a playoff series for the first time in the organization's history. First time ever. First okay, time so, ever. Since so they never. I guess. I guess back when they made yeah. it before, they would have had to been just CS. the division champ. Yeah, yeah exactly. and they had yeah. never been to a World Series, so they'd never won one. They were off to the ALCS to play the Minnesota Twins. The Twins had also just come off uh, a hard-fought series against the A's, uh, where they had gone the distance, mm-hmm. including. Uh, just barely holding on in the ninth inning of game five. They were up like 5-1, and the A's made it like 5-4 mm. in the ninth. Uh, two upsets in the AL. Two upsets. Uh, the Angels once again dropped game one uh, by a score of 2-1. to one. It was fairly uneventful game. Joe Mays tossed eight innings of four-hit baseball for the Twins, besting Kevin Napier, uh, who also put up a decent performance. Uh, interesting fact. Do you know who D- the DH was for the Minnesota Twins? No. David Ortiz. David. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but as the season had gone uh, so far for the Angels, uh, the Angels overcame a bad start and came back. The Angels select twin starter Rick Reed and won game two decisively, 6-3. to three. Troy Gloss played hero again in game three with another late inning home run, and the Angels won 2-1. to one. Francisco Rodriguez, K-Rod, the 20-year-old who had barely pitched in the big leagues, struck out two more batters in the eighth and was now pitching to a 2.18 ERA in the playoffs. K-Rod pitched 4.1 innings in the ALCS, gave up no runs, and struck out seven. He and Troy Percival were okay. suddenly an enormous one-two punch for the Angels in the late innings of of all these games. Like yeah, they, they yeah. didn't, they had Percival, they really didn't have a, and then all of a sudden K rods just, just comes they, on the scene. Just get us to just seven boys. Down, just guy, get yeah. us to yeah. seven and we'll, we'll get this. Yeah. After that, it didn't matter. The angels just overpowered the twins and closed off the series in the next two games, winning handily seven to one and 13 to five. Adam Kennedy was ALCS MVP blasting three home runs while playing in just four of the games. A trade that many fans had hated at the time when the club traded Jim Edmonds had come around to look pretty good, at least at this moment. It looked I was going to say, good. yeah, this, at this juncture, it looks like that trade paid off. Yeah, anyway. the pitcher's not even on the yeah. team anymore. But I mean, you could argue maybe you're, you're there faster if you have Edmonds, but... Well, they had a glut of outfielders, though, right? Like, their outfield's already stacked. Right. No, 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 I know. Just, I'm saying, like, you got to make those moves to get where you got to get, but I'm just... 
Edmonds was probably better than Kennedy. Oh yeah, over the long. Well, and it's funny because yeah. I mean Kennedy was no slouch, but it, it definitely seemed like he yeah. was like uh, the secondary piece in the trade at least, right, and right. now he's the ALCS MVP. Right, that's just baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pat Borders, man. <laughs> <laughs> the Angels were going to the World Series. And they were to face none other than Barry Bonds and the San Francisco Giants. It was the first time uh, ever that two wildcard teams would meet in the World Series. Mm-hmm. And it's only happened one other time in 2014. Right. Uh, the Giants were also stacked, but like the Angels, many saw the pitching as a potential weakness. Bonds was an absolute beast at the plate. He was in the midst of a stretch that saw him win four MVPs back to back to back to back. Uh, of course, whatever your opinions are of Barry Bonds now at the time, he was pretty much seen as legit and playing at a man against boys level. Yeah. So you're going up against the best player in baseball. Uh, although he didn't hit 73 home runs in 2002. No, he did that in 2001. Mm -hmm. Uh, he did put up a slugging percentage of 0.799 with an on-base of 582 for a ridiculous OPS plus or an op- op- ridiculous OPS of 1.381 actually 2 points higher than his 73 home run season. Mm-hmm. So Bonds walked. Yeah, cuz he had like an insane amount of walks that year, right? 198 yeah, walks. Yeah, like fucking Christ. Like just uh, yeah. yeah, just feared, absolutely feared. Yeah, and it Trust me, it's th- this is how I originally probably got into this was the just by looking at World Series and seeing Bond's performance in this World Series mm-hmm. and being like, that was a wicked World Series. Mm-hmm. I wonder what the story behind that mm-hmm. was. And here we are. Uh, in the playoffs, he Did had, you watch a foolish baseball video? Oh, it? who probably. knows? There's probably lots of influence yeah. that bring me to these. Yeah. Uh, in the playoffs, he had already hit four home runs in 10 games and walked 10 times. In the five-game NLCS series against the Giant or against the Cardinals, uh, yeah, he had walked 10 times in the NLCS against the Cardinals in five games. So That's Angels nuts. fans were definitely worried Bonds would steal the show. And he absolutely 100% did. Like he, I remember this World Series was, and Bonds was Barry the Bonds, marquee. Barry Bonds' 2002 World Series numbers are absolutely just ridiculous. 30 plate appearances, 8 hits, 6 of them for extra bases, Four of them for home runs. Now you're like, well, eight hits in 30 plate appearances. That's not much. It's because he walked 13 times in those. <laughs> so he was. Thir- so he's on base 21 times. Oh, yeah. Out of 30. Out of 30. That is fucking insane. Yeah. He put up an OPS of basically two. What? <laughs> it was absolutely. So, that makes sense. Like, I'm not surprised because I do remember that we were in grade nine for this yeah, World yeah, Series. Yeah, I, I remember so. this World Series. Yeah. And I remember, I remember cheering for the Angels. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I was against Bonds because he was just a jerk. Yeah. But, like, I remember after the Angels winning. Yeah. That the focus was on Barry Bonds. And I remember how like short he was with the media. Like he always was, but this time in particular, you could tell that he was just like 
beside himself upset because he had put on this performance and it wasn't enough yeah. to to get the Giants over that hump. Yeah. So it was absolutely ridiculous. So as you just said, you look at those numbers and you think, so the Angels lost, right? Yeah. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> the Angels lost game one. They definitely lost game one, just like every other game one. Mm -hmm. uh, Bonds hit his first home run of the series in his first at bat to lead off the second. And the Giants, a couple batters later, Reggie Sanders also went deep. Troy Glass answered back, but the Giants took game one, four to three. Game two was a whole different story. Angels sent 10 batters to the plate in the first and took a 5 nothing lead. Bonds walked to start the second. And back-to-back -back homers from Reggie Jackson and David Bell uh, later in the inning would put the Giants within one. The back-and-forth uh, run-scoring battle was on, and it's one of the best games probably in World Series history. And something like I've seen a lot of best games in World Series history list, mm -hmm. and this one probably should get a little bit more love. Tim Salmon homered to extend the Angels' lead in the bottom of the second, and Jeff Kent answered back with another dinger himself to lead off the third. Lackey replaced Apier in the fourth with a seven to five lead. So okay. it's the fourth and it's seven to five, uh, <laughs> but ran into problems in the fifth. Lackey gave up a leadoff double to Rich Aurelia before striking out Kent and giving Barry Bonds an intentional walk. Scotia went to his bullpen and it wasn't pretty. Ben Weber gave up four singles over the next five batters, and the Giants stormed ahead to take a 9-7 to seven lead. So now it's 9-7 in Back the fifth. And forth. <laughs> Angels pulled to within one, and Garrett Anderson snuck a ground ball through the right side of the infield with two outs in the sixth to tie the game at nine. It would remain tied until the bottom of the eighth with two outs and longtime Angel great... Uh, and franchise home run leader Tim Salmon stepped to the plate and smashed a go-ahead two-run home run with David Eckstein on base. Bonds would homer off Percival in the ninth in a famous at-bat that is still absolutely amazing to watch. Mm -hmm. uh, but the Angels would hold on for the 11-10 to victory in a wild affair in Anaheim. Back-to-back four-run innings for the Angels in Game 3 would give them a 2-1 to series lead. Troy Gloss gave the Angels the lead with his seventh home run of the postseason in Game 4, but John Lackey gave up three runs in the fifth, assisted by a poor throw from right field uh, by Tim Salmon that allowed a runner to advance. The game was tied at three, and K-Rod came in to pitch in the seventh and set the Giants down in order. Nice. nice. Then disaster struck in the end. Oh, no. <laughs> JT Snow led off with a single. Then Benji Molina, one of the best catchers in the game, had a fastball go off his glove when Reggie Sanders squ squared up to bunt. And I realized, do you want to... There was two Molina brothers on this team. Yeah. I didn't... And I'm like... Now I'm like looking back at this. Benji like, and Jose? And yes. Right. Because um, there's, there's four, right? Is there four? Yeah, I think so. I couldn't name the fourth. Well, well, but, you could name Yachty. Yachty, Jose, Benji. Benji. Who's the other one? I don't know. All right. Anyway, carry on. Uh, so, wild pitch. Uh, Snow moved up and then scored the winning run on a single from David Bell. Bonds was intentionally walked three times in the game. So, Fuck. yeah. <laughs> the run was unearned, but it still gave K-Rod the loss. His playoff numbers at this point 
were five and one with an ERA of one point two zero. Game five was in San Francisco, and the Angels sent their young ace Washburn to the bump, hoping to take a three to two series lead coming home. The Giants had other plans and pounded the ball all night off Washburn. And everybody else Mike Scotia put out on the hill. The Angels looked to be coming back in the middle innings, but the Giants pulled away. Led by Bonds, Kent, and Kenny Lofton, each having three hits. It was a decisive 16-4 win and the, uh, for the Giants. We should also note that this was the game where Darren Baker, Dusty Baker's kid, yeah. ran up to home plate during a live play. Luckily, JT Snow scooped him up, uh, averting there. disaster. Yeah. Um, things didn't look good for the angels, but they had their grizzled vet, Kevin Apier on the hill and the giants were sending Russ Ortiz who the angels had touched up for seven earned runs in game two. So they're down three, two heading home. High gamble. High gamble. So it's going home though for the last two games. Okay. And we know what happens at home. Monkeys. Oh yeah. That's right. (laughs) The rally monkey. (laughs) The Giants threatened in the first, uh, with Scotia intentionally walking Bonds again in the first inning with a runner at first and two outs. So they rather they walked Bonds to put a runner in scoring position instead of pitch to him with two outs. That is insane. Yeah, that's like how good he was. They were like, well, he's gonna he could hit a double or a home run very easily, so mm. just put him on first. Yeah. Um they were taking no chances, uh, but You'll see about that later. In true postseason fashion, uh, Sean Dunstan, a 39-year-old at the far end of his career, uh, took Apier deep in the fifth to give the Giants a 2 nothing lead. Dunstan had put up a 42 OPS plus in 2002. So he was just 42. awful. Yeah, he was really bad. And he was just, this, it was just one of those moments where just a bad player just, just gets their moment. His moonlight Graham moment. There you go. So they're on the brink of winning the World Series. They're up 2 nothing. After Kenny Lofton double, Scotia decided to go with K-Rod. Lofton then stole third with only one out. It looked, and yeah. They got the second out on a ground ball infield in. It looked like the Angels would recover, but then a wild pitch, and the Giants no. were up 3 nothing. She. Then Bonds led off the sixth, and they just walked him. should have walked him. They should have walked oh, him. He hits they a didn't. monster home run off K-Rod. <sighs> uh, Kenny Lofton then uses his speed to create another run in the top of the seventh. Going into the bottom of the seventh, the Angels were down 5 nothing. They were nine outs away from defeat, and at this point had managed just two hits in six innings off Ortiz. But as we know, Tough waters in Anaheim, the show's not over till the monkey dances. That's right. With one out in the seventh, Troy Gloss and Brad Fulmer hit singles, sending Ortiz to the locker room. Scott Spezio faced off against the Giants' own dominant reliever named Rodriguez, Felix Rodriguez. Spezio mm-hmm. went down one and two, but fouled off pitches and worked the count back to three two. Spezio then lifted a high fly ball into the right field corner. Sanders was back at the waist high fence, waiting and waiting. Spezio was rounding first, not even running, just watching. The ball landed two rows deep, just out of reach, and suddenly the game felt like it was in w- within reach for the Angels. It was five to three, and the crowd was going bonkers. Okay, the Giants quelled the storm. Good the crowds s- in that stadium, by the way. Great crowds. Too. The Giants quelled the storm 
in the seventh, but the power of the rally monkey took over as soon as they picked up the bats in the eighth. What clip did they show? Do you have that? No, I don't have that clip. What movie? movie? I literally could watch. You can watch this game on YouTube. I did watch parts of this game on YouTube for this. Uh, Darren Erstead led off with an absolute blast on an off-speed pitch. He sat back and absolutely torqued over the right field wall. Tim Salmon hit a single, and Garrett Anderson hit a bloop down the left field line that bounced in front of Bonds. As Bonds reached for it with his bare hands, he knocked the ball away and allowed the Angels' base runners to easily get into second and third. Ooh. For a moment, it looked like Sean Figgins, who was pinch running for Salmon, would score, but he was held up at third. And now there were two runners in scoring position with nobody out. And Troy Gloss coming to the plate. Troy Gloss. Now, why they don't walk Gloss here is absolutely beyond me. I have no idea. I sh- I, and I'm just, it's just coming to me now. Okay. Why do you say that though? Like, cause he's having similar. He's an, he's being an absolute yeah. beast. There's two runners on at second and third, nobody out. Mm-hmm. And he's coming up. Like just mm-hmm. walk him. Just walk him, get a force at anybody. Just walk him. Yeah. And like, I, I like want to go back and like, look at this game again now, because I realized like, I'm like, did I remember like when I watched this at bat, like did, did, were they talking about that? Like, mm-hmm. why did they pitch to him? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so they pitched to him. So they did. The moment looked a little big for Gloss at first as he swung and missed on a fastball about two feet outside to start the at-bat. He's excited. Gloss almost did the same thing two pitches later, but on the appeal to first base umpire, uh, it was ruled no swing. And on the replay, it's a swing. It could have been. You wouldn't have. I think you have more of an argument that it wasn't a swing than it was i think if it was like there would be you can't argue but it wasn't so on 2-1 uh gloss absolutely obliterated a hanging slider that zipped into the gap over bond's outstretched glove the magic of the monkey was real the angels were up six to five (laughs) and had come back from five runs down heading into the seventh damn it was one of the greatest and most likely unlikely comebacks in World Series history. Staff, who had been setting up for the post-game celebration in the Giants' locker room, suddenly stopped and began to tear down as quickly as possible and reboxed the champagne that had San Francisco Giants 2002 World Series champions printed on the label mm-hmm. before the players could reach the mm-hmm. locker room. Is this the one? I think this is the one that in... Uh the Ken Burns baseball documentary, Bob Costas is talking about how he's waiting in the locker yeah. room. And as soon as like that game, sw- and, as soon as the angels won, everything was ripped down. It was like a blink of an eye. Everything's out of the locker well, room. They, yeah. Cause it happens so quickly in the bottom of the eighth, all of a sudden they take the lead and then Percival puts them down like one, two, three, yeah, super yeah. quick in the ninth. Uh, and so it's going to game seven. So, Reggie Sanders referred to it as a nightmare in the press and Giants owner Pete McGowan was heckled and spat on by Rowdy's Rowdy Angels fans as he left the ballpark. Uh, He also talked about taking sleeping pills that night because it was just so awful. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Angels were about to send a rookie to the hill to pitch game seven of the World Series. 
John Lackey, who hadn't been in the big leagues until June of that year, was about to pitch the biggest game in franchise history. This always happens somehow. I know. And it's, it's wait. <laughs> why is it always a baby that it's, pitches it's game always, seven? It's like, <laughs> that's why this world, I feel like, I feel like 2001 completely overshadows how amazing this one was mm-hmm. because I think 2001 was slightly better, but this yeah. world series the next year was like, like like it was just yeah. astounding. It's the first time a wild card team. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, carry on. So he didn't disappoint. He pitched five innings of one run baseball. Garrett Anderson solidified himself in Angels history with a bases clearing double in the third. K Rod struck out the side in the eighth, giving him eight and a half, eight point eight and a third innings pitched in the World Series with thirteen strikeouts. The wow. Giants got the tying run to the plate in the ninth, but Kenny Lofton flew out to center field and that was that the angels were world champions a team that had been counted out and overlooked the consistent underdogs that never quit used the power of the rally monkey to stage numerous unlikely comebacks again and again 66 percent of the innings pitched in game seven were thrown by two rookies who didn't start the year on the team crazy one of whom was a september call-up wow (laughs) so the Angels had beat one of the greatest dynasties in baseball in round one and beat the greatest player in the game during the World Series. Well, like, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> still... yeah. The Angels had thrown... Yeah, he still smoked them. The Angels had efforts. thrown Barry Bonds 112 pitches in the series. 73 of them were balls. Only 39 mm-hmm. strikes. He swung the bat only 25 times and put 14 of those balls in play. That's insane. Yeah, like, it, you forget about it because he's been out of the game for a long time. But like, oh man, I just remember Barry Bonds always being like just an ex- putting on a clinic for patience at the plate. You know? Yeah, it was just just he, like even they they intentionally walked him a lot of times, but yeah. it's because he was so good yeah. at at taking a walk. And being selective, you know, when they weren't doing that to him. So he was just, yeah, absolute, absolute beast. Where am I here? But going back, it is so, yeah, I'd say eight of those, so 14 in play, eight of them hits, mm-hmm. four home runs. Mm-hmm. Just uh, so the team that everybody thought was a teardown job had won the World Series. It was full of overachievers and unlikely heroes. Uh, and they were the only team since 1912 to win a World Series with no player having previous World Series experience. Wow. It, on the entire roster going into the playoffs, there were two games of playoff experience. Crazy. I believe those were Apiers. Okay. <laughs> I, I One believe. Guy. Yeah. So that's it, like, and just like think about those trades though. Like the Mo Vaughn trade gave them Apier. Mm-hmm. And he, like, without him, they don't do it. Yeah. And. The Kennedy trade, you know, yeah. without him, who knows where that he hits. Yeah, who knows? Maybe someone else makes that key hit or whatever. Well, but, you know, but it, it's it's so so all these things just like came together absolutely, and it was just absolutely wild. So the World Series alone, 2002 at the time, set records: most home runs in a World Series, 21; extra base hits, 45; and runs with 85. So of that I don't know if those Insanely records have been broken, offensive. but at the time those were the records. Yeah. They set all those records. Troy Gloss was MVP, but until the eighth game uh, or the eighth inning in Game Six, everybody basically was like Barry Bonds is, you know, yeah, going to be the guy. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, Bonds and had the Giants won, there would oh, be yeah. no question. He, no question. Bonds would never win his title. Rich Aurelia said after the series, what I'll remember about the series is game six. I'll remember that we lost game six. They just beat us in game seven. There's a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's uh, just one of the most overlooked World Series Mm-hmm. And just the unlikelihood of that World Series. Well, just like a great story for the Angels, like the whole year. I mean, I I knew that story about the Angels in 2002 being the the first wild card team to win mm-hmm. uh, a World Series, um, and obviously that alone makes them the underdog story of the year. And going up against Barry Bonds is Giants. Like, yeah. I mean, I know they were the wild card team as well, but. It's Barry Bonds and the Giants yeah, or whatever. But I didn't realize that the Angels were kind of an underdog story for the whole season that year with that, like, you know, terrible start. And then, like, you know. Well, and everybody had counted them out because of Mm -hmm. their collapse the year before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they were just in a division that was just stacked. Yeah. Like, there wasn't, there was just no hope. Yeah, it's it's not even necessarily that they were counted out because they were bad it was just they were in a division with other teams that were so good yeah no I and would... and on the other side of the country as well having to deal with the fucking yankees yeah exactly and, and that's it, it's a just a completely unlikely story and they they were a good team for most of that decade mm-hmm. um but you know obviously they haven't won a world series since uh, i think they've only won like one playoff series really since then too they've but that year was just everything came together, and there was just an absolutely monstrous offensive playoffs. Mm-hmm. Like all those mm-hmm. series, there was so many. Like at eleven ten game, yeah, just wild. Like I'm gonna, there do, was, I'm gonna do like you said and go back and watch a few of those games on YouTube because yeah. you know you can find them all. I think yeah, you can find them all. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That was that's funny. That's like we never really talked about that series because that was. Like just before we became friends. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I know. It's it's an overlooked series and it definitely uh definitely should be in consideration for one of the one of the best world series of the twenty first century mm-hmm, at least. For sure. All right. Uh, t- yeah, thanks for that story. That was a good one. Yeah, till next time. Uh, follow us on Twitter at doing baseball or Instagram at doing.baseball. Give us a review. Give us a like. Do your thing. Tell us your friends. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. I'm Sean. And I'm Ed. And we were doing some baseball. See you in two weeks. Okay, bye. (laughs) 